0: On this side, of there are two spots. I'll probably go to the wrong one. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, thank you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for giving me this time and this place. Um, I get invited to speak in a lot of churches. What's exceptional this morning is that you have invited me back. I've been here before, and I, I know what uh, a major step that is. <laughs> for me and for you, and I thank you very much for this time in this place. I'm here to say a few words about a mission of the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. Actually, we're a mission of the Women's Vision of the the, uh, Global Board of Ministries, but we operate with the support and under the direction of the North Georgia Conference. what is a mission supposed to do? This place is amazing in the support of mission, but think about what a mission is and what a mission does. Now, this is a personal comment. This is not, nothing out of the uh, the handbook of Murphy hearts but in my experience over the past nearly 70 years, um, I think that a mission has two great things that it engages in. One is to serve the least of those among us, to not walk past that person for the 21st time. To serve the least of those among us, as we're called to do in the 25th chapter of the Gospel, according to Matthew, that the least of those among us are where we will find Jesus. And when we reject them and we walk on by them, we are rejecting Jesus himself. And At Murphy Harps we serve... Children who are arguably the least of those among us. These are children who have come almost without exception from backgrounds of appalling and egregious neglect and abuse. But a mission has to do more than just serve the least of those among us. Otherwise it's just a very good social work agency and there's nothing wrong with that, but it is not specifically a mission. A mission always is calling people to know God in Jesus. And that's a much broader and much grander and much more important proposition. And I have worked long and hard in my work with Murphy Arts to see if that is there in the work that we do. And I am convinced in my own heart that it is. No, we don't turn out dozens of healed buddy evangelists but I see God connecting and those children connecting back with God through Jesus because that is true of my friends, the way they make a recovery from the wretchedness of their life's experiences. A child does not come to Murphy Harps because they have been beaten and abused and neglected. A child comes to Murphy Harps to receive services because that child is extremely behavior disordered or severely emotionally disturbed. And I'm not just talking about my seventeen year old grandson here. He's a handful, you <laughs> know. A kid has challenges, let's uh, say, but but these are children who are so broken, so damaged, that they simply cannot function in what you and I might call a normal setting, like a family. Or even going out shopping at Walmart without acting out, decompensating or having an aged episode. These are children that without major intervention to turn their lives around, they're going to end up spending the rest of their lives in prison. That's the short version of it, and that is an accurate statement. We are intervening and providing services to kids that others have not been able to reach. On average, a child that comes to Murphy Hearts has already been in 14 unsuccessful foster placements. Think about that being invited into a family, a good family, saying, we love you, we want to take care of you, we want to help you. But the child's behavior is so outrageous and so impossible that you or I simply could not take care of that child. You know, they shoot the cat, set fire to your house, whatever. Uh, just just awful stuff. And so the child is told, come here, come here, no, go away, go away, go away. You start with a family of origin that is abusive or extremely neglectful and then time after time you're told come here and then you're rejected. By the time we receive these children they are complete emotional wrecks. There are so many things we do and that you help us do to change those lives. And I want to say a few words about this mission and ministry and how we do that. The story is... But the backgrounds of these children will make you cry. I don't tell those stories anymore because I can't get through them. But make no mistake: these children are dangerous. They are teenagers. They are violent. They act out. They are a danger to themselves and others. Many are suicidal. They harm themselves. They harm other people because that is, the, that is their expression. That is their life experience of violence and rejection. The good news, and we are Christians, so I meant to bring good news. The good news is that Murphy Harps, as a mission and ministry to these children, is successful. I was asked this morning the UN member, thank you guys. Great breakfast, great gathering, great support from you all. Thank you. Um, the, uh, not about at the beginning of the sentence was. Well, That's what happens when you reach my age. <laughs> Never mind, everyone. success yeah as I said, we, we, we're certain we receive public funds some public funds from the state of Georgia for room and board to take care of these children as if we were a foster parent and so we have to report on things and so we have statistics that show all sorts of measures of improvement but uh, I'm going to tell a story because that's what I do I'm just a storyteller it's obvious by now that I'm not a preacher um, <laughs> tell a story that I think i told in the past is got kind of meaning, but you were absolutely sorry if you hear it again. But a story of success and the peculiar ways that one might measure it for children who uh, like the children we serve. I was at a, uh, a clinical meeting, a meeting with the clinical director, where they invite administrative types like me to come in and, and learn what's going on with the children with the program. And uh, this clinical meeting was unusual by the standards of most clinical meetings. And I speak from experience because I used to work at the State Psychiatric Hospital in Rome. Uh, the meeting was unusual in as much as our clinical director opened it with prayer. Uh, and uh, that's entirely appropriate, uh, but it happens very rarely in most places. And it reflects the kind of people that we have working with us and with our children. And we continued with the meeting for a long, long time. It was in our chapel at Murphy Hearts, which is the biggest space we have to gather in. And partway through the meeting, a group of students came into the back of the chapel, uh, going to an office that's in what would be the narthex, uh, in any other church. And uh, the clinical director said, did you notice the tall girl with the long hair who just came in? And she was difficult to miss. She was tall, very striking, easy. Recognize. And we all said, yes, we, we saw her. And he looked at the group, and for whatever reason, he shared this with us. He said, when she came here, she was bald. She had not a hair on her head. And the reason for that was that the, the abuse that she had experienced was so traumatic that it had set up a nervous or s- psychological disorder that caused her to pull her hair out. She even pulled out the hair of her eyebrows. Now, I don't say that just to point out how shocking the condition of these, these children are when they reach us, but to say if you're measuring success, maybe sometimes success is just that somebody grows hair because she has the most beautiful full hair and she will slowly, one piece at a time, learn how to function, how to love herself, how to love others, to love God. That is my hope and prayer for her and for all the other children. And by golly, it works. It works because the church is there, because the Holy Spirit is present there, because you are the hands and feet of Christ, with many other congregations across the North Georgia Conference supporting us in so many different ways. Remember that we are a specifically Christian and Methodist. Organization. But, it's right on my nose here. It <laughs> won't go away. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get back to order here. Um, having been raised both in the Methodist and in the Anglican Church, as in the Episcopal Church, I'm driven by election just one of those things that you never get out of your system. I looked at the lectionary for today, and uh, one of the readings this from the legend of the Romans, and it's about God's promise is received through faith. Let me read a little from the uh, fourth chapter of Romans, I think beginning in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, So shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. My experience and my belief that is that Murphy Harst holds on for those children that promise of God and that it works for them. That has been true since our beginning. Another story. Here we go. We were founded by two ladies, uh, so, ladies, there's no telling what you can do answering a call from God. Uh, in 1924, 91 years ago, a Methodist missionary, Ethel Hart, opened a, an orphanage in Cedar Town, Georgia, which is where we are still located. And the campus she caused to be built is still the campus that we occupy, built with money from the UMN from all over the uh, UMW. Rather, from It works quite well for us. In addition, a few years later, in the very early 1930s, a young black woman who had put herself somehow through Spelman College returned home to Town, Georgia, and opened a school. This is in the midst of the Depression, in a Georgia that is driven and ruled by the Jim Crow laws, by segregation, Who would think that a black female in the midst of the Depression could do great work? And she did. She opened her school. The only problem was that people would bring their children to her school and leave them because they didn't have the money to support their own families. And so, unwittingly, maybe, or providentially, depending on your theology, um, the Sarah Murphy School became an orphanage. So it's Georgia 1930s, one orphanage for white kids, one orphanage for black kids. In 1951, the Sarah Murphy home burned. It was just a glorified oversized sharecropper's home, and the kind of places that had holes in the floorboard you could look through the floor and see the dirt underneath. It had never been more than that, physically. The Homeburn and some community leaders in Cedar Town decided that this was an important mission to serve the community in times they were indeed changing a little bit. And uh, maybe the community should support the Sarah Murphy Home, which heretofore relied on a few church donations and a few donations from black civic organizations and veterans' groups. And so the first thing they did was form a pro- board of trustees and the first action the Board of Trustees took was to do an inventory of the resources of the Sarah Murphy home. The building had burned. The total resources of the Sarah Murphy home was one cow and seven chickens. Those were the assets. But God fulfills promises to those who are faithful. And Sarah Murphy was always faithful. By her own statement and the accounts of everybody who ever knew her. She never turned a child away from that home. No money, no budget, no expectation that things were going to work. I now tell my boss when he comes to me and says, okay, Brian, what are we doing financially this year? I said, you just gotta have the same faith as Sarah Murphy. He's less impressed with that argument than you might be. (laughs) Uh, But I I believe that. After 91 years, why would one not have the Assurance, and it is the assurance that God fulfills the promises of the faithful. The whole Bible is full of that. The whole of our Christian history is that. And it works because of you. Our Sunday school class, again, in your comments, Reverend, you're talking about the church as the hands and feet of Christ. That's what you are. When you go forth into the mission world, I saw the sign as I came in. Uh, into the mission field, you are serving as the hands and feet of Christ, supporting the children that we work with. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you do it financially, and I am quite frankly overwhelmed. I did not come here today with the specific purpose of asking for money. I enjoyed the fact that this church has very faithfully supported us financially over the years, and I came to say thank you. I am overwhelmed by the offering that was announced and I thank you and we will put it to good use. We are good stewards of your, of your resources. You also sustain us and support us, you and many other congregations, with your prayers. Please do not forget that. Prayer is transformational. Our children, our staff, need your prayers. Some days I think our staff needed more than the children. You know, we come to work every day to children who act out. These are not little kids, As I said, they're teenagers who are violent, disrespectful, out of control. It's very, very hard. And day after day after day, we work with them until that change takes place. You support us by your engagement. Not a week goes by on Murphy Park's campus without a church group or church members or some church organization being present on our campus doing work, either with our physical plan or directly with our children. That changes lives. That is transformation. Story number three, we're getting close to the end here, don't worry. Um, My boss, who is the director of development, Has the job, not of going and speaking to churches, but finding people mostly in metro Atlanta who have good hearts and very, very deep pockets. And she is able to charm all sorts of resources away from them from time to time. Well, a gentleman that she had been pursuing with some interest financially for several years finally decided that he wanted to come to campus and see what the work was that we're doing. And this is a man who is not well off, this is a man who is ridiculously wealthy. And he came to our, our campus, and uh, my boss was showing him around. This is a second-hand story, because I was not there, but she's a faithful narrator. And she was showing him the chapel. Now, underneath the chapel is our school. And I guess what would be the crypt, but it's a very nice <laughs> space, but <trust me. laughs> Uh But it's, not, it's a very nice, recently refurbished school. We have to educate the children in our care, so we have a school, and teachers, and all the normal paraphernalia of the school. And uh, everything was going well and she went out behind the altar to where steps go down to the school and they were chatting away and all of a sudden this young boy, ten years old, probably the youngest child we had in our care at the moment, well known, to us, a child that was just not responding in any way to anything we were doing with him. Just completely, the kids completely bonkers came running up the steps from the school. He had gotten out of his classroom somehow, pursued by one of the power pros and the kid was just cursing and shouting and hollering. He came to the top of the steps, and saw my boss and this gentleman, I looked at them, said something inappropriate and unkind to them, and then turned around and ran back down the steps. At this moment, the prospective donor decided to take off after the boy and go down the steps. Now what could go wrong with that? What possibly could go wrong with that? We looked around. A lot of people looked around, trying to find them. It got very quiet, which is sometimes worrisome. And after looking in various closets, rooms, and spaces, somebody went into the principal's office. The principal was not in at the time. And the young boy, the 10-year-old, had gotten under the principal's desk, And this wealthy gentleman in his two thousand dollars suit, thousand dollars shoes, was bent down talking to the boy under the desk. They stayed there for almost an hour. Afterwards, this potential governor got the boy out. They went and found the girl he had been (coughs) in dispute with, and he sat down with the two of them and tried to work something out so they would start communicating. All the while, we just. You back off, you trust, you know that at this point nobody's in control other than the Lord. Absolutely no way you're going to manage the situation. It is going to unfold according to God's plan. That boy's behavior has been completely transformed. And the donor wrote us a colossal check. <laughs> there is no happier story. But this the purpose of the story is to say, you yeah, know, The hands and feet of Christ involve writing checks, the hands and feet of Christ are the direct engagement with those children. You can have a million dollars or you can have 20 cents in your pocket and you can do that same kind of engagement. You can meet the Jesus in the person that you're looking at, that you're talking to in the situation you confront. And every day, you are doing that at Murphy Carpst and it is amazing and yes, it works. Usually at our dismissal, and we're getting close to that, uh, we're invited to go forth to love and serve the Lord. In your going forth and loving and serving the Lord and being the hands and feet in Christ, you are bringing about transformation in the lives of some of the least of those among us. And you are helping those children find a place to, where they can reach out and take a hold of hand with the hand of a loving God, something they've never experienced their lives before. For that we thank you and God bless you.